if you were that guy, you'd be like, I think I'm going to stop umpiring baseball games. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like the way that riots keep following me around. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Battery Mates. Uh, this is Toby in Chicago, in my home in Chicago, and I'm also today with... Oh, hello there, Governor. Is only core blimey Matthew McGregor in London, Tan. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't done that for a while. Yeah. It's good to get that off my chest. It's, yeah, it's it's honestly, um, I yeah, imagine this should... <laughs> as we say in England... <laughs> I imagine that's just what your your day, your every day is like. Um, when you're not talking to me, it's basically how you sound. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually this is my this is my American accent I'm putting on. <laughs> we have a very special episode of Battery Mates for you. Um, there's a lot of baseball news to cover, obviously, but we're going to put some of that aside to just for this episode. We'll get back to it um, to talk about. Uh, what everybody really wants to talk about, which is Disco Demolition Night from uh, in Chicago in July of 1979. Um, Matthew, this is um, something that is we've been wanting to talk about for a while. Why now? Because there's no baseball to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Why else? Why else? Um, but I, we have wanted to talk about this for a while. And... Um, I, I I I don't know a lot. Of, I didn't know a lot about this. I do now. I've been reading about it and watching tons of video um, and listening to other people's podcasts. Um, we should do like some program notes on on Twitter uh, to give credit to where credit's due for the research that we've done. Um, but it is a it is an incredible story. I it mean, really there's is. so many layers to this. I mean, we should we should get into and talk about this. Um, but do, do you want to do you want to just Quickly go around the horn on the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, yeah we should talk about this. We should acknowledge it. <laughs> well, I mean, we can acknowledge there's 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 still no baseball. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know noticed, but um, the 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 Nationals uh, spring training facility in West Palm Beach, Florida, has been taken over by the state to serve as a a, a, a testing um, spot. People can do like drive through uh, testing to see if they've had or have got. Uh, coronavirus so i mean the the nationals weren't doing spring training anyway but they are really not doing spring training now <laughs> uh but apart from that there's no real, ba- real baseball but there, there was there was they, they have they have at least um fairly p- quickly come to an agreement between the mlb and the mlbpa yeah. on what's going to happen happen this season which i was quite surprised they managed to get that done so quickly yeah and, it, and at first it becomes a, it looks like a really big win for the players um and you look at like you know, they got an advance on their salaries. Um, owners have agreed to um, pay $170 million of the of the salaries. And, and the Players Association gets to distribute that. So um, I'm assuming that the the players, main players representatives for each team will get a big chunk of that. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we'll get a little bit of it. Um, but, yeah, no, um, they get that. And then the big thing that kind of uh, makes me sad is... I mean, I'm all for the players getting their credit for playing, but 
the service time piece of this is really brutal for people, for teams like Cleveland. Um, you know, uh, they're basically agreed to the players will get a credit for a full season of play, no matter how much baseball is played in 2020. And if there is no baseball played in 2020, they will get the equivalent to what they, the service time equivalent to what they earned in 2019. So if you played the whole season in 2019, you get a whole season in 2020, even if there's no baseball played at all. Which means that Mookie Betts, for all you Red Sox and Dodgers fans out there, um, could be a Dodger f- uh, for no baseball, no actual baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those prospects that went over to the Red Sox could end up being could stay uh, for basically nothing. Yeah, and th- there's a, there's a lot of different layers to this, and it means different things for different teams. Um, it doesn't it doesn't massively affect the Nationals. Um, there's no there's no big big star who's on their on their final year right. of a contract. Um, so it will be it will be you know, fine for some teams, really bad for other teams. The the main takeaway that I had from this whole agreement is just how funny it is for the LA Dodgers um, <laughs> to trade away <laughs> prospects and uh, get absolutely no time from Wikibits. The, the, really what I would like to happen is for the Red Sox to get their shit together and re-sign Wikibits <laughs> for his free agency. Not because I, I don't hold any particular affinity for the Red Sox, but it would just be extremely funny to reunite him with those press prospects. And um, I just, I just thinking now in my mind about Jeff Gabriel's sad little face. <laughs> yeah. And we've been meaning to get to Jeff Gabriel's sad sadness uh, across the board um, for a while. If the coronavirus hadn't happened, we would have had an episode of his, um, you know, equal time for the Dodgers fans who lost the 2018 world series, 2017 world, 2018 yeah. world series, 20, why can't I remember anymore? Well, they've, they've been losing serially. 2017. Just, just in different series. rounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm blank for a minute. The thing, the other underreported piece of this that I think this agreement that, um, you know, I've seen a couple writers pay attention to is uh, what Major League Baseball owners get out of this. The big thing is they're limiting the draft to, cert- to only um, yeah. no more than 10 rounds. I think they're probably like five rounds. Um, and staggering the, the, the bonuses that these, um, these drafted kids will get, they'll get, uh, you know, I think it's capped out at, actually don't know what it's capped out at, but it's capped out pretty small right now. And then we'll get portions over the next couple of years. So not only are a whole bunch of, you know, especially high school kids are going to unfortunately have to go to college, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, a lot of a lot of players will not be drafted this year, and probably will never. A lot of a lot of the people will never get their chance at playing professional baseball. And this tees up for the people who are worried about um, baseball contracting minor league baseball, uh, and you know, getting rid of some teams. This seems to be setting that up pretty nicely. So yeah, yeah. The the last never, thing about this never waste a, never waste a crisis. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, the last thing about this agreement that is interesting but doesn't really give us much, but there is um, a framework for return to play. Um, at least they have some. They, they they caveat all of it with the uh, you know Rob Manfred can override this, <laughs> which is I don't think he would, but there needs to be um, essentially an agreement that no like the no fans, staff, or players would be um, at risk of health, major health uh, risks. Um, the, the second piece is that no city would have 
uh, bans on public gatherings. So no, no major league baseball city would have a would, would, that would prevent them from having home games. And the third is um, tra- no, there's no travel restrictions um, in the states between the states and Canada. So um, huh. that all if those waiting for all three of those things to come to fruition might take a while. <laughs> um, Toronto just announced yesterday they will they're banning public gatherings through the end of June. So wow. I guess this the caveat here that Rob Manfred could say, all right, well, Toronto's playing all road games for the first several weeks of the season if we start in right. June. Um, right. But anyway, you know, for those of you looking for hope, there is reason that we're going to have a baseball season in the near future or at all. This provides some level of hope, but honestly, reading it, I, I, I don't, I'm not feeling great, to be honest. I. My personal view, and I'm not a health expert at all, um, is that there just isn't going to be a proper season this season. And I'd love to see some planning in place for what happens if they they just can't play baseball until uh, August. Because yeah. I think that realistically that's that's more... The that's more the point, especially. I mean, August is is realistic in the UK, and we're we're getting a grip on this a little bit more, uh, belatedly. But we're we're still getting a handle on it more than the US is, thanks mm-hmm. to your fucking, our fucking douchebag president. <laughs> um, so I I think I think there isn't going to be baseball until August, and so I just think you you're just not going to be able to play a proper season. We should accept that now, or at least accept that's a real possibility, and start looking at alternative uh frameworks i'd be really interested in some kind of like tournament modeled a little bit like on the world cup where you have uh small pools of teams that just play each other like very infrequently maybe two series of three games um and then go into a uh like a, a knockout tournament pretty pretty much straight away so August, September, and October would be uh, like a like a World Cup of baseball um, model on the soccer World Cup. I mean, yeah, I think honestly they're they're almost certainly going to have to get creative with this season. So I'm all for anything like that. Um, I mostly just want to see baseball that's happening, <laughs> and I and I yeah. believe me, I do not want to risk any. And the other thing that um, one of my favorite baseball writers, Joe Sheehan, points out is that if they do return to work like and there's no crowds or whatever. there still needs to be like people who don't make that much money who are put at risk um or potentially could be put at risk you know the the, yeah. the operation has to go into play to actually broadcast the game the, the grounds crew the people who the, the staff that work the stadium even if there's no crowds like you know um so yeah i mean this is the this is a, this, this, this crazy suggestion from the uh, football authorities it was just like a kite flying leak uh the other day um saying that they are gonna to, to finish the season there are 72 games left in the um epl uh, for the season to finish the season they're gonna take all of the players and quarantine them um in like near birmingham um and they're gonna play games at four different training grounds so there'll be no crowds um and they would have they would take a month because you have to have a certain amount of time in between games. And so, so they'd be quarantined entirely away from their family for a month. All the players would be tested 
the day before and they'd be tested every three days during the course of the tournament. But they would also, like you say, they would also have to quarantine enough uh, people to do the broadcasts. That's not like a minor uh, operation. Like to broadcast one game requires like three dozen people, technicians, producers, camera crews, uh, then you've got medical staff, then the, the players have got to eat, they've got to get driven to the to the game. Um, it, it just is nuts. I just don't think there's there's some people that have got so much money at stake that they haven't been able to psychologically get their heads around the fact that this thing has changed our lives and very, very significantly and for a significant amount of time. And it just it just drives me crazy. There's this whole like, well, when do you think we're going to be able to get back to normal? We're yeah. not going to be able to get back to normal for a really long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, at anyway, least talking about normal, we have each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least we have each other. Should we? Should we get on to talk about disco demolition? Yeah, let's talk about some disco. <laughs> All right, this is okay. Where Where do we want to start? I mean, yeah, let's break it down. I don't think people know the story. I think that this is something that people have heard about a lot, and that um, the full story is probably not as well known as people. Um, as, as you might think. Right. So let's let's take it back. We're talking about July uh, 1979. Um, this is, according to an internet search I did very recently, the same month that Sony introduced the Walkman for the first time. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, the, the same time that the Voyager went past Jupiter. Uh, huh. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Berry was sentenced to four months in jail for for Ooh. tax evasion. Oh. He, he went to jail for something else later that was grosser, I think. So. Oh, really? Okay. It involved toilets. Um, uh, so it was... It was uh, The point I'm trying to make is it was a really, really long time ago. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a really, really long time ago. And we're talking about Chicago. Uh, this is the White Sox. And um, we, we'll get, let's get on to talk about the, the game in a second. But... We should talk about the the protagonists for for a moment. The protagonists aren't the Chicago White Sox, or uh, even less so the Detroit Tigers, the teams that that played or were trying to play a doubleheader uh, that day and night. The protagonists are Bill Vec mm-hmm. and Steve Dahl, yeah. and accompanying them is disco music. <laughs> so I, I'd never heard of I'd never heard of Bill Vec before. Oh yeah. Um, uh, no, I'd never heard of him. And to, honestly, I've enjoyed learning about Bill Vec almost as much as, as I've enjoyed learning about this entire thing. This guy's story is the most bananas thing that I'd ever heard. So it, it, he's the owner yeah. of the Chicago White Sox on the night of Disco Demolition. And he has an incredible background, uh, a, a colorful history, if you will, <laughs> of owning baseball teams and having the craziest promotions you have ever heard of. I, I mean, he's a weird guy anyway. He like problems with alcoholism and everything else. He lost a leg, um, and would like. He had like a. Do you see this bit? He had like a a hole drilled into his leg so he could use it as an ashtray. <laughs> he he smoked. Know. He smoked a tremendous amount. Um, and so he was like a really, really wacky dude. But like when he was, he owned, he owned one of the teams, uh, not the Cardinals, the other team in St. Louis who, who, who left, uh, Browns, but yeah. when he owned them, the Browns, that's right. 
when he owned them, they had promotions including uh, uh, a managerless night. T, uh, uh, fans, fans behind home plate were given cards to hold up with things like steal, second base, uh, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that, uh, bunt, uh, things like that. And they, they, they were the managers for the night. Um, he uh, he had celebrities be the first base coach from time to time. Uh, and he, <laughs> I think this is the one he's best known for. He had a, um, I'm actually not sure that what the word, right word for this is. Uh, he had a an extremely short person. <laughs> yeah, you can call him. Um, <laughs> he had somebody who was like three foot two inches come up to bat as, as like to pinch hit. As a, as a as a novelty promotion i mean we're going to talk about the fact that 1979 was a different era a lot but this promotion was 15 years earlier than that and it was an even more uh, different uh, era um but the amazing thing was i was reading about it is the guy the guy walked because the strike zone when <laughs> right. you're three foot two inches is incredibly small. Yeah. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. And after, but after 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 that promotion, Major League Baseball banned and people below a certain height from playing Major League Baseball. This is the only reason Which I'm seems... not playing Major League Baseball right now. <laughs> it just seems like a, a real a real dick move. But he had all kinds of promotions. A lucky ticket winner, a, lu- a lucky ticket holder would go home with a free chicken, uh, two, two dozen oysters. He gave away a horse at one at one promotion once. Um, a very old horse, apparently, according to this. Uh, so not worth very much money. But anyway, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is Bill Vec, very, very, very wacky owner of the Chicago White Sox. And I think if you know a little bit about that that kind of background the fact that they did this promotion makes a lot more sense right yeah no he was kind of the willy wonka of of baseball owners um a weird ass dude but he also you know innovated to, to a pretty great extent I mean, fireworks show and like weird sound effects and light displays um they called the the white Sox scoreboard which is they basically replicated at the new ballpark uh, new quote-unquote ballpark um the exploding scoreboard that just lit up when big yeah. things big things happen yeah looks very quaint now but i think back in the day in the you know the 60s and 70s was pretty cool so uh, apparently like opposition players would like protest about it they were like this is offensive that you're like you're almost mocking us when <laughs> uh the, the team and apparently one one team uh, when they hit a, ho- a, a home run, uh, paraded in front of the White Sox uh, or the home teams, you know, the White Sox uh, dugout with sparklers to like mock them. <laughs> like it was like little, you know, they call you call them sparklers in America, right? Yeah, yeah. little little handheld sparkly fireworks. That, that that's how much of like a novelty it was. Imagine, like today, it seems pretty quaint, but. Um, yeah, he 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 was he was an all round wacky dude. So he's he's kind of key to know. He also um, for Cubs fans out there who probably know this already, he's the one who um, decided to ask Harry Carey to sing "Take Me Take Me Out of the Ball Game" for the first time during the seventh inning stretch. Not the song being played for the first time, but Harry Carey singing it, leading the crowd and singing it. So, right. Um, well, we'll come we'll come back to Harry Carey and the singing. Oh. 
Take me out to the ballpark. <laughs> so the other protagonist we need to we need to talk about is Steve Dahl. So he's the he's the uh, he's he's he he was a radio DJ in Chicago. Yep. Uh, a, a rock a rock DJ or a DJ on a rock uh, radio station. And this is a time when disco was becoming more and more popular. And he was fired from his job one morning because the radio station decided that they were going to play a ton more disco music, stop playing rock music. And so he was superfluous to uh, requirements. And from that moment on, he took a dislike to disco music. (laughs) Pretty vocally, yes. <laughs> I just pretty, noticed that I called, I called um, Bill Beck the Willy Wonka, but this guy's last name is actually Dahl, like Roald Dahl, yeah. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the other thing that I didn't know a ton about, uh, last thing before we get on to talk about the actual uh, game itself, the other thing I didn't know very much about is disco music itself. Mm. I, I don't, I'm not a big disco music listener. So I, I, I don't know as much about it, but it was really interesting to, to dig in and kind of learn about the um, the sort of the history of um, uh, the music and how it's completely entwined with uh, black culture in some of the cities we're talking about and also um, uh, stems uh, in the gay community from the Stonewall riots and the way in which the Stonewall riots uh, led to uh, a big explosion in gay clubs because it was much safer for uh, gay people to come together and have, um, you know, music establishments. They weren't fearful of getting raided and everything else. So disco, disco music is very, very culturally entwined with black culture and LGBT culture mm-hmm. in America. I didn't know that. And to me that, I mean, we'll get onto this as well, but that is obviously a very, very important part of this story. Huge. Yeah. I mean, especially when the, the looking back part of it, <laughs> the, the part about, uh, right. you know, whether this gets celebrated now and like commemorated. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Should we talk so about let's talk about what actually, day? let's talk about what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so Bill Vec and, and his Bill Vec owns the White Sox. His son, Michael is the promotions manager. Cause I think if you are the son of, Bill Vec, you're going to become a promotions manager for a baseball team. Yeah, it's like if you're the, um, if you're the son-in-law of the president, you get to run um, Middle East peace process and COVID nineteen right, exactly. response. Yeah, it's just the way. It's just the way it works. Just, just how it goes. So, uh, Michael Vec uh, had this idea um, to bring in Steve Dahl, who had been running a big campaign on his new radio station against disco with uh, his group of fans called the Insane Cohos. Which is apparently a type of fish. I don't don't know about that. Sure. But anyway, he's he's sort of, <laughs> he's sort of fan group. He's called the Insane Cohos, and he's been running this campaign against disco. And uh, Michael Vec has this idea to bring Steve Darlin for a promotion, in which you can get into the doubleheader, the Tigers, uh, White Sox doubleheader, um, both both games for ninety eight cents which even in 1979 was not very much money at all, uh, if you brought along a disco record to be destroyed in between the two games. Uh, another thing I didn't really, really understand, nowadays in a doubleheader, you have to leave the stadium in between the games, right? Uh, it depends. Like that's just a... It depends on what kind of doubleheader it is. There are sometimes 
sometimes you do, but often in Cleveland at least you don't. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, it must be a national thing. I've never, I'd, I'd never come across it. Someone can correct me. A day night doubleheader. Usually you have to leave. Yeah. It's two different games, but they, they do right. often do back to back where there's only like a 40 minute break between games and you stick around. That's what I grew up on. So, so this is, this was back to back, back yeah. in the day, 98 cents to get in. They'd been getting crowds of about 10,000 people. They were expecting can 20, I just say one quick thing? 98 cents seems like yeah. a really annoying price point for the ticket takers. Like, <laughs> yeah. what do they do? Charge a buck, a buck and a record. You you, know? you, well, <laughs> I, I, I wondered that and looked into it. And it turns out they were charging 98 cents because Steve Dahl's radio station oh. was WLHP 98 FM. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't remember the acronym, but the 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 the, the frequency was ninety eight FM. So they charged ninety eight cents. I totally agree. Very annoying. They must have had a lot of pennies with them on the on the gates. <laughs> they were expecting twenty five thirty thousand people, and they had security. Important point here. They had security for thirty thousand people. Fifty thousand people got into the stadium, and another twenty thousand people were locked outside trying to get in. Many of whom actually did manage to sneak in. So the place was absolutely rammed. And this is a difference between Tencent Beer Night and uh, Disco Demolition Night. I mean, the Tencent Beer Night was well attended, but not massive, yeah. you know, not capacity level right. crowds. Yeah. No, I mean, if you, if you, if you haven't already, um, I really recommend watching. There's a ton of video of this. I think that's the other difference from Tencent Beer Night is there's not lots and lots of video right. of that game. Um, there is a lot of video of of, of um, demolition, uh, disco demolition, including like literally the entire game, uh, the, the the first game. Yeah, they didn't play the second one. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, of the, you can you can watch the entirety of game one of the doubleheader, um, and it's really fun. It's kind of like it wasn't a very good game, but the commercials in between the innings are really really cool. <laughs> um, um, the seventies were a simpler time. Um, <laughs> And, but but from from that you get a sense of how nuts the crowd is. So uh, a few things I noticed watching some of the game and local news coverage afterwards um, on YouTube. Number one, people was they like they they paid ninety eight cents and had to give a disco record yeah. at the gate to get in. But loads of people clearly hadn't because throughout the game people are throwing records onto the field. Like there's there's a story where one of the outfielders for the Detroit Tigers says he was almost hit in the head by a, a by a flying record from the stands. The other thing that you can you can kind of see, um, but uh, is confirmed by some of the writings, uh, some of the articles I read, people are just drinking liquor, like they're just drinking like bottles of Jack Daniels in 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 the stands. Like they brought their own liquor in, and everyone's going going wild. Now I have to the look, other thing but is, that's not that wasn't legal then oh, either. <laughs> no, that's not no, something I, you were allowed. I, I did look. I I just <laughs> assumed that you couldn't you couldn't just like <laughs> openly drink like towns. This is America, for goodness' sake. But they also have like huge banners. People have brought homemade banners that they've kind of um, just like um, hung off the the balconies, like they're just homemade banners saying "Disco Sucks." Disco demolition, and it, it it kind of has almost like an aura of a of a political rally in a way. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it was you can you could see in game one 
that this was very, very not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And it got, it didn't get better. Um. It didn't get better. So uh, at the (laughs) end of, at the end of game uh, one, um, Steve Dahl, as promised, uh, brought all of the disco records onto the uh, field in a huge box. And then he drove around the, the field in a Jeep because he's like shtick was to wear an army uniform because he was like, I'm the general of this anti-disco army. <laughs> it's as nuts as it. It's just incredible. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> he drove around the field in this Jeep with a, uh, an army uniform on and an army helmet. And then, and then he was like leading the crowd in chants of disco sucks, disco sucks. And then they blew up this box of records and <laughs> when when you read about it like they blew up this box of records you sort of think like well, you, it, nothing can compare you prepare you for what actually happens in the explosion it is quite a big explosion like there's a bit of a big bit of light and a big bit of noise but the thing that really really stands out from the explosion is the records go fucking everywhere <laughs> like it is debris across the whole outfield and you can't see it on the video but apparently they it left the explosion left left a gigantic crater in the outfield like a foot deep <laughs> so <laughs> the records go absolutely everywhere steve dahl drives around again and then uh he he leaves like he drives out and at that point what's supposed to happen is the grand crew are going to come on pick up all the bits and pieces um and then game two is supposed to start. And I, I'm, I'm just guessing based on how this turns out, that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't, we didn't actually get the second game in. I, I, uh, I understand. So the what, second game didn't happen. Yeah. So what was so wrong? There, there was, there was a, there was a pitch invasion. Is that what you call them? What in America? Is a pitch invasion. Oh, um, field. The uh, field? Yeah. So like the crowd, rush the field, yeah. They rush the field, right? In, in England, we call that a pitch invasion. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, and it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I, this is the bit that I think everyone who knows anything about baseball will know. There is a uh, the the crowd rushes the field, and it is absolute mayhem. <laughs> uh, the field is completely swarmed with people. Like there are points in the in the ensuing chaos where you literally cannot see a blade of grass. Um, the field is completely covered. Uh, there are uh, somebody slid down the the foul pole, okay. like they they climbed onto the top of the foul pole and slid all the way down. There are people sitting in the Detroit Tigers dugout drinking. Um, somebody digs up the home plate, literally digs it up, leaves a massive hole there. Uh, people have in, in more than one place on the field, the the the, the turf is on fire. <laughs> People have literally set fires on the field. Um, uh, there, are, there are more than one source says that they saw two people having sexual relations on third base. What? Uh, yeah, literally, literally having sex on the field, um, and, and and generally like like throwing stuff around and uh, absolute absolute mayhem. The interesting thing, <laughs> one of the interesting things, this is a whole crazy story. It looks like an actual riot, and it's described as a riot at the time. There are fires going off. There are people. It's just absolute mayhem. There was only one injury, really, in the entire in the entire night. Yeah, a guy broke his hip 
I would, if you said there was one injury at de- Disco Demolition, I would ne- it would have taken me years to have picked a uh, broken hip. And it was somebody who just like drunkenly fell over like while trying to rush the field. Oh, um, so it, it's, it's absolute chaos. And for about an hour, the, the, the White Sox, um, the, you know, the, the stadium announcer and everyone else are trying to get people to leave the field so they can, so they can start game two, which is, which is really nuts to me. Like if you, if you look at the field three minutes into this whole situation, you can see this is not that nothing, nothing is going on here. This is no, no more baseball is being played. The field is entirely full bits of the field are on fire. There's an explosion <laughs> crater in the outfield. Somebody is digging up home plate. And at that point, you can just say like, there's no baseball being played here, but the, the stadium tries to get the uh, crowd off the field so that they can play the second game. And it, they, 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 they make announcements and they put up on the exploding scoreboard, please return to your seats. <laughs> uh, at one point, the organist plays, take me out to the ballpark. Uh, as a way of like trying to get everyone to, to chill out. <laughs> um, everyone joins in singing and then carries on like <laughs> going nuts on the field. Uh, then they, then they get, then they get Harry Carey to make an announcement from his, like his booth. He's like well-known where he is booth. He's like, comes to the window. It's wide open. He, he comes on the, uh, I wrote this down. He says, Holy cow. What say we all regain our seats so we can go back to the game of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's so so amazing anyway that doesn't work so they call the riot police and um there's not just any riot police this is a chicago oh riot yeah police uh yeah i mean this is not a long time after the 68 uh uh practice run that they got in so they they quickly they quickly uh, uh clear the field there's even horses uh on on the field to try and clear clear the crowd off and they're still trying to play the game at this point? At, at that point, the ground crew goes onto the field and spends an hour trying to fix the field to make it playable for the, for the game of baseball. It's like, what? who, who thought, lads, I reckon, I reckon we can fill in those explosion craters pretty easily. Let's just get on the field there and we'll, we'll get this done pretty quickly. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Someone would have had to go and find a new home plate. <laughs> like a spare home plate. Anyway, they spent an hour trying to fix it. And in the end, the reason that they don't play the second game is because the Tigers manager is basically like, no, there's been a riot. We're not, we're not playing. And they argue it back and forward for so long that the local curfew, they kind of, they're not allowed, they don't have a license to play baseball after 1am. That gets too close. Uh, so they wouldn't have been able to complete the game anyway. So the, the crew chief, um, whose name I didn't write down, that's very annoying. The crew chief makes the decision, I'm calling this game off. The amazing thing about the crew chief abandoning this game is it is the same guy Jeez. who was the crew chief at Tencent Beer Night in cleveland what a fucking if you were that guy you'd be like i think i'm gonna stop umpiring baseball games <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the way that riots keep following me around they didn't teach they didn't teach me riot control at umpiring school this is bullshit <laughs> Fuck this. what a coincidence is that that is amazing so that that was that was disco demolition night that was like the thing itself 
um, the next day, Steve Dahl was like, that was, apart from the riot, that was a fantastically successful uh, promotion. We got the the crowd was absolute capacity and we made a really powerful statement against disco. <laughs> not not everyone not everyone felt that way about it. No. No. Um and I honestly like the 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 that's the part of the story. I mean I, I heard a lot of that piece when they tell the story of and it's it's similar to Tencent Beer Night in that oh, this is a wild baseball story that, like, people being ridiculous and drinking and having sex on the field <laughs> and lighting fires and riots and the, the home team had to forfeit, lol. Um, and that's a, that's basically my understanding of, of, of what Disco Demolition Night was about. And I and, and then maybe the, like, the, the, the culture significance of, like, the anti-disco movement, I, I, I guess. But I think in the revisiting of this story, there's a lot more to unpack here. Um, should we take a quick word from our sponsor and then uh, and, and really dig a little deeper? Let's go. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by Brookfield Lanes in sunny Brookfield, Connecticut. Yes, due to the coronavirus crisis, we will be closed until the state allows us to reopen. But until then, we invite you to Virtual Bowl along with us via Zoom. That's right, you don't need shoes, you don't need a ball, you don't need a stubby pencil. Just sit down at your computer and bowl vicariously through our staff. We've got Ray in lane one, Bill in lane four, Cranky Dougie in lane seven, keeping a respectful six feet apart at least. We'll even keep score for you, so come on down. But not literally, please, but Brookfield Lanes and bowl like you mean it. All right. Thanks uh, again to always to all of our sponsors. Um, it's a, it's lovely to do this program, but it's made even more lovely because um, we're raking in a lot of money, and you know, in this moment of crisis, it helps. It really does. Um, and uh, should we get back to the disco demolition night story, the saga that's on that's just yeah. unfolded? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think the big question, the sociological question here, Matthew, is uh, was this like super racist and homophobic? <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to laugh, but like it is a, it's a, it's a wacky story. It's a w- and on the, on the surface, there's, there's lots to laugh about. But there are super, super dodgy undertones in this in this whole thing. And it's really telling that a lot of the like, kind of sportsy white guy bros are like, wow, that was wacky. And they yeah. range from that was wacky funny to that was wacky disgraceful. Yeah. But all of all of the all of the black players and a lot of the staff at at, at the White Sox that night or, or in Chicago are like, yeah, that was a race riot. Yeah. I mean so I, I think there's a lot to unpack here and I'm sure they will they'll we'll get letters about this. Um <laughs> we don't we don't get actual postal mail. Um but <laughs> I think the 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 question of whether this anti-disco movement was rooted in um racist a racist under rooted in racism, I think is a a fair debate to have. I think there certainly are people who um you know didn't think about it in those terms, but it's just like so 
I'm kind of an expert on, uh, you know, being able to uh, acknowledge that something I really deeply liked and didn't think about as a racist or, or a problematic symbol, um, Chief Wahoo, um, actually was. Uh, right. So I, uh, I think there's, there's something to be said for, for that piece of it. But it, the, the, all you need to do is look at the actual, like, what actually transpired here. It's a whole lot of white people showed up to... Um, essentially explode, burn um, the cultural significance of um, outsider groups. Let's put it, just put it that way. Um, and some of the ticket takers were saying that they were taking basically any record as long as it was by a black artist, which is right. fucking A. Like that's, you know, taking like little Stevie Wonder records and stuff like that. It's just like, that's, that's insane. Um, I mean, not to be... Uh, we need to be. We need to stick to the actual. Uh, what's a disco record and what's not a disco record? <laughs> that would have been a hard thing to to enforce as well. Um, <laughs> there was a, I can just imagine the, the big training that happens from ticket takers have to um, figure out what's Casey Casey and the Sunshine Band. And um, <laughs> anyway, um, this is BGS, but it's before the BGS went disco, so it doesn't count. Um, no, I think that the uh, the the other really relevant piece of this is where like the physical location of Comiskey Park and those, the, the neighborhoods that are kind of centered around Comiskey, Comiskey, but then right. Comiskey Park are the, it's, this is the, the, the racism. Um, you're talking about Latino, um, African-American and like white, mostly like Irish heritage, like whole bunch of butting up against each other, um, and this was a, this really like a, can, knowing this t- transpired where it did, when it did, seems a whole lot more like trouble um, than if you just think about it as a it happened in a baseball stadium. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's. I mean, there's there's a lot of the kind of I was always trying to think about how to describe what I think about this. A lot, a lot of the sort of same sentiments that you end up articulating around Trump come to the fore. Yeah. Like, not everyone who took part in disco demolition had a thought through uh, set of racist beliefs. Right? <laughs> there wasn't lots of those people were not like there being like, I would like to take part in a cultural destruction of the music of black people, and I want to take a stand against gay culture. But you don't, you don't, you don't actually need people to have over-articulated opinions about why they're doing something in order for that to be yeah. uh, a racist endeavor, as it were. So, you know, I don't like Rod Stewart or the BGs either, and uh, uh, and there was like, there's an element of disco culture, Saturday Night Fever, that like working class people can look down on and, and kind of think is pretty shitty. But when you add in the context of the time, the context of where it was and the behavior uh, over or implicit of a lot of the people there, it's entirely unsurprising that African-American staff at the White Sox gates were like, holy shit, this is a fucking race riot. This is frightening. Like that's um, entirely unsurprising. And I think, you know, the, the reason this came up a lot of the articles about this element of this came up 
uh, over the last couple of years when the White Sox actually held a celebration or a commemoration of Disco Demolition Night. But leave aside the criminality and the fact that people were <laughs> sorry, in, like trying to destroy Comiskey Park. Yeah. It is it is incredible that the uh, an incredible lack of sensitivity to not be able to kind of understand that, that was a uh, it was a, a very sensitive situation for a, a lot of people. I think the White Sox were like pretty pretty badly burned by the reaction to. Um, to that, yeah, I mean, I mean, not even, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think the Clevelands have held like a 40th or 45th anniversary of 10 Cent Beer Night. I don't think they. I mean, they sell no. a T-shirt, ironically, but they, they do. They do sell a T-shirt. Yeah. I mean, they sell a lot of things ironically now. Um, but uh, no, I think that's. Yeah, maybe we maybe we can't really claim any high ground there. Um, <laughs> I, I, all you need to know, I mean, really, Dahl himself is like, was asked the question, I think, during this like 40th anniversary stuff, like, if, if somebody wanted to do do it again today, would you, you know, he's, he maintains that it's not racist, not homophobic, it's, you know, he didn't yeah. do any of that, he wasn't thinking that way, he just didn't like disco music. And, you know, I get, I get what he's saying, um, but he, you know, asked if you would do it again, and he was like, this is the quote, he said, you know, I would say, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Because, I mean, based on all that knowledge that I have now of how it affects people and obsess people and whatnot, it doesn't seem cool, I guess. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he there's understands. A, there's, there's, a, there's a great moment on the, the British version of The Office where uh, the, the Michael character in, in the British office is called uh, David Brent. Yeah. He's, um, he, he says that he's, his dad uses a an insensitive derogatory term for uh, black people um well that's not what he says in the show but he, he actually says the word he says but you know the thing is my dad grew up in a time when it was before racism was bad and <laughs> i think about that quote a lot whenever whenever i hear somebody be like well you know you got to remember that it was the 1970s and so you know things were, were a little bit different then and it's like on one level yes on another level no actually still not okay still not okay but i mean the other the other side to that is that at the time steve Dahl was 24 years old and his story in a way is a little bit like what most 24 year olds now have which is that their entire 20s and teen years in fact are on social media for everyone to see like people in the 70s when they were 24 did some dumb shit but he's made national news and is forever being talked about by like dickheads like us, uh, so he's he's like he might be now saying, yeah, that probably wasn't actually that cool. He can't wish it away. It's, yeah. it's on the internet. I mean, the thing is, he was twenty four and a, a disc jockey. You know, and someone else, someone should have known better than to put him <laughs> to give him this the license to do what he did in front of right. a baseball stadium. And I know ticket sales were down for the White Sox that year, <laughs> but come, come on, like, yeah. <laughs> I just it feels like. At the very least, incredibly uh, short-sighted. Like not not seeing the whole picture of what's going to happen here. But yeah. someone probably someone saw this and was like, "Huh, this might be a problem for I don't know um, large swaths of the population. <laughs> I, this could be. This I'd, could, I don't know. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you who, who didn't." I tell you who didn't look at that and say this is going to be a big problem, Bill Vec. Bill Vec. <laughs> he, he wasn't. No, he, he was looking at this and thinking, 
it's pretty mild compared to what we usually do. <laughs> He's <laughs> ashing in his leg and, and kind of sipping on whatever he's sipping on. Uh, you know, I, I, Bill Beck, you know, it, <laughs> was it Eddie Goodell? Is that was his name? The, the three foot seven player? Um, I think it was Goodell. Uh, I can't remember. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is nothing <laughs> compared to that. Um, um, I need to ask, you've, you've written in the program notes that we did for this show. There's, there's a, the, the next bullet point just says my Sharona. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Um, it's just a, it's just a bop. Um, no, my Sharona. So that summer, um, essentially disco, the disco had essentially owned the charts for a couple of years since Saturday night fever at this point. And so the, the, the rock and roll stations were, you know, they felt like they were the underdog. They felt like there was a sense that, it was them against the world. And I think that's fueling a lot of the, you know, the people, like you said, a lot of people didn't have fully thought opinions about, or fully thought um, anything about what they were doing that day. <laughs> um, but my Sharona was what um, this, this power pop song that kind of broke the disco fever that year. It was a number, I think it was number, it was number one for like six or eight weeks in the middle of that summer. <clears throat> so, it had kind of given this, it had been like the, the hope of rock and roll fans out there. And it's a great song. It's a great song. And also, um, can't, can't help, but in this moment, um, here, uh, every time I, I saw Corona virus sing to myself, a, a little my <laughs> Corona. <laughs> so it's just, less fun now, um, now that it's getting incredibly serious. But, um, I didn't but, think that was where it was gonna, I didn't no. think that was where it was gonna go. You know, you know, my my brain goes in weird directions, um, and uh, not healthy ones always. That was a, that's certainly not no. one I should have no. planted in other people's heads. But so um, a it's couple, by the a knack, couple of by things. The way. Great, song, great song, great song. There's um, there's a, a few things that I learned during the the research that aren't directly directly related to to disco demolition that I want to uh, to to wrap up with. The, the first one is that Bill Vec's kid went on to a, a long uh, career as a baseball promoter. And he now currently, as in right today, owns uh, a share in several um, minor league teams in Florida, um, which he co-owns with Bill Murray. No way. Way. I did not know way. that. And he, as well as as well as co-owning these, I think it's five different um, minor league and in, independent league uh, baseball teams. He's also, he's also in charge of the promotions. One of the promotions that they run from time to time is that Bill Murray is the first base coach for for, for a team. <laughs> That's like the promotion that, that Bill Murray is the first base coach, which is incredible. But also like he's Bill Vex kid, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, Another thing I want to—I I mentioned this earlier—but the commercials during the the game. So I watched uh, a couple of innings of the of the of game one of the Disco Demolition. Like <laughs> uh, the Detroit Tigers beat the the White Sox four to one, um, and there were just some incredible ads. One I want—I tried to record it so you, we could play it here. Maybe you can um, cut it in after this. But um, there was an ad in which some um, people go fishing, and while they're fishing. The song plays. Great the ads are incredible. 
really, really, really incredible. The other thing I wanted to, uh, penultimate thing I want to talk about is there's a moment in in game one where, um, uh, uh, oh, sorry, a game the day before where Harry Carey's talking about um, the disco demolition. The next day is this big promotion. You should come down. And um, uh, the whoever's batting hits, a, hits a, a foul ball straight back up. And it, he stands up picks up a giant fishing net, puts it out of the big window in front of the commentating box that he's in and catches the foul ball in his fishing net. <laughs> and the crowd goes absolutely bananas. And it, it turns out that Harry Carey had a big fishing net. I don't know if this is like a thing that he carried on to the Cubs and he's well known for, but like, I did not know. He catches a foul ball in a big fishing net. And that I just thought that was absolutely phenomenal. And then the last thing... Um, I found out was um, somebody who worked at the White Sox stadium. Um, uh, I think he was like taking ticket stubs or, or, or something. And I can't remember his name. So I was very annoyed at not writing it down. Anyway, he was driving home one night from the stadium or, or, or running home from the, uh, from the stadium uh, through Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. He's the, the guy African-American and uh, he got attacked by some local kids and, and beaten very, very badly. Um, and he managed to escape and he ran down the road at the gas station. He found a police officer, told the police officer what had happened. Apparently he could like barely see out of his eyes. He was really badly beaten. The police officer drove around with him and they found the kids and the kids were arrested and, um, charged with, um, whatever it was. And the kid's lawyer wrote to his this guy's family he's only like 16 years old at the time and basically tried to make an offer didn't want it to go to court etc etc and um this guy got an out-of-court settlement of five thousand dollars in return for dropping the charges Mm. and he loved music and he used the money to buy two synthesizers and he used those synthesizers to make music that invented the genre of house. Yeah. <laughs> this is there incredible. This is so that last piece and some of the ticket takers stuff. There's a whole his whole story is fan is fantastic and it's um, featured prominently in the. It might be the entire subject of the the podcast, um, the, the Dem- Disco Demolition Night podcast that Undone by Gimlet did. Um, highly recommend. It's mentioned on that. Yeah, it's yeah. mentioned on that. It's it's excellent. It's excellent. There are several good podcasts about it. Um, which uh, th- this podcast is in fact uh, drawing on multiple. Uh, we've done no original research for this. We've done. <laughs> well, you research watched it. Into, uh, <laughs> we've done research into other people's research, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, we're gonna. I'm gonna do a, a mammoth uh, uh, Twitter thread about all of the different disco demolition things uh, I've been looking at. Because uh, there's so much good stuff out there and so many really, really interesting kind of almost like it, it sits at, the, at an intersection of social history um, in Chicago and in, in America. So it's kind of it, it's a good starting point for a whole range of different threads you can you can start pulling on, including my Sharona. Um, so, <laughs> my Sharona. <laughs> no, it's, that's exactly right. And I honestly like there's there's so much interesting stuff about about this is this is the. I'm 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 uh, I'm ashamed to have to admit this, but um, this is a better story than Ten Cent Beer Night. Uh, 
And, um, <laughs> and so, um, I mean, ten, we, we should do 10, 10 cent beer night as well, but that is going to be a lot shorter. And it's kind of like they were selling beer very, very cheaply. People got very drunk and lost control. And there's the some end. funny, there's some funny, absurd violence that happens, but <laughs> mostly, um, you know, the Indians had to forfeit the game, and here, here the White Sox had to forfeit a game. They they lost game one of the of the doubleheader too, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was a bad day for the <laughs> Chicago White Sox. They, they weren't very good anyway. What what happens when you forfeit a game? What, does it you literally just lose it, or do you, does it get marked up as a particular score? Or? I be, okay, this is a, that's a, I used to know this one. I think it's not. I think you lose nine to nothing. <laughs> right. Um, let's see, baseball forfeit. We did a lot of independent research for this, and yeah, baseball really forfeit. annoying for people who really annoying for people that care about run differential. <laughs> That's right. The score is recorded as nine to nothing, uh, as as stated in Rule Two Point Zero Zero of the Major League Rule Baseball Rules Book. Um, so I guess it a run per inning. That's that's what happens when you forfeit. So I guess, yeah. <laughs> wow. There you go. There I don't know. Go. I don't know what pitcher gets the loss. Um, uh, but so, I, certainly, um, no. There weren't many winners in this scenario. No, no, no one, no one won. Um, uh, we we should wrap it up, but um, we we are we are almost definitely going to have multiple weeks of no actual baseball, and I'm really really on the look for uh, additional like big moments from baseball history that I've never heard of before. I know about ten cent beer night, but the, that and this are basically the only kind of big historical things. Um, oh, I, I also have um, looked into uh, the Cubs guy. Oh, what's his name? Huh? The Cubs. The guy. The guy who interferes with the play. Oh, um, uh, uh, Steve um, Bartman. Oh, Bartman. Bartman, of course. Do the Bartman. Um, <laughs> so we we really want. Um, uh, recommendations. Uh, do you have a particular moment in baseball history that you are obsessed by, or was a big formative moment in your childhood that I missed out because I didn't have a baseball childhood? <laughs> Send us the nominations. We'd we'd love to do some deep dive. Yeah, I mean, honestly, every there's, there's another podcast I listen to. Um, uh, it's a Cleveland specific podcast. Just did a deep dive on the uh, August two thousand one game um, against the Mariners. Where Cleveland was losing fourteen to two in the seventh inning, and it came back to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, sorry to all you Mariners fan, but Mariner fan listeners out there, but um, <laughs> pretty incredible game. That sounds that sounds incredible. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, I'm not sure it's a. I mean, it's probably down farther down the list than on what we get to here, but um, I highly the, the Selby is Godcast is the name of that podcast. We're just doing advertise ad ad reads for other podcasts now, so. Maybe uh, I don't know. We're going to be back very shortly with um, another Better Mates the movies. Um, I think we're going to cover the movie sixty one. Is it yes sixty one with an asterisk? Right. Yes. I don't know how to pronounce that. Just say sixty one, right? Just say sixty one. Okay. Well, we'll cover that and more um, on a little more. I'm not sure that now. Not much more. Um, Kate will have something to say. <laughs> um, on the, the, the next episode, which will be hitting your, uh, wherever you get podcasts, um, in the next several days. So, yeah. Yeah. Until then, I don't, well, I'm not sure what people, people should have, do. People have got, people have got more time to both 
listen to baseball podcasts and to get out there and shackle those balls. And a safe social distance. Shackle. Yeah, safe social distance. Shackle those balls.